Hello, and welcome to the Theological Family Ministry Podcast, a podcast for parents as well as children and youth ministry leaders. We are dedicated to showing how theological study and biblical application relate to the discipleship of children and youth. As always, we're hosted by Pastor Ben Palaz, the family and discipleship pastor at Curtis Baptist Church in Augusta, Georgia, and Pastor Anthony Trussoni, the supported elder at Poland Baptist Church in Poland, Maine. Well, good afternoon, Ben. How are you doing today? Uh, doing pretty well. Uh, yeah, it's towards the end of the week here, so you know, feeling a little bit of the, the effect of that. And But uh, I just had COVID recently, but I think I'm kind of think I'm back to normal. So how about you? I'm doing pretty well. So no COVID right now, fortunately. So we had some uh, sickness run around our house, but fortunately me and my son avoided it. So just the girls got it. And uh, but been pretty busy. We uh, painted our deck. We tried to stain it, uh, but there was like six layers of paint, and I was able to get it down to the bottom layer. But it was just too much work. So Ooh, we got put yeah. a nice paint uh, coat of paint on it. So, but it's been busy, busy time. So yeah, good. Yeah. So, and we're getting ready for our backyard Bible club as well. So okay, yeah, that's uh, that's gonna. You got. I've seen. I've not been to your house. I've just seen the pictures. But it seems like you got a good setup in the back there for it. We do. Yeah, absolutely. So. It's uh, hopefully it'll be a blessing to people. So anyway, but, uh, you know, one thing that has also been new for us is I'm, I'm trying to get healthier. Uh, and, uh, you know, we got some uh, workout stuff on Facebook Marketplace and stuff like that. And uh, I'm trying to, you know, do make some decisions that are hopefully better for me, uh, that are good for me. And, and, you know, and it really brought to mind things that are good for you and not. And I, I assume that both of us would agree that even more so than uh, plate weights, that the local church typically is good for you, right? Yes, I would, I would agree. But if the local church tends to be good for you, I, I do want to ask... Is uh, every church spiritually good for you? Specifically, is every church spiritually good for young people? Ah, that's a good question. Um, No, and and that can be for a number of reasons. I mean, the church may have bad or destructive teaching. That's um, maybe in other ways that there's good things going on, but they're teaching things that are just outright not helpful. Uh, But also the culture of the church could have an effect that is negative, that tells the wrong things uh, about the Lord and about His kingdom, and so, yeah, not every single church is falls into the category of being good for you. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. That uh, not every church, uh, you know, the churches that are good are very, very good for you. And um, by the way, I know that uh, I'm not very good at bringing in the conversation, so I apologize, listeners, for <laughs> randomly bringing plate weights to unhealthy churches because I want to talk today really about about unhealthy churches and our podcast called "Instilling Hope After a Bitter Taste." Sounds very Puritan, I'm sure. Uh, but yeah, I, I would say that most churches, probably the majority of churches that exist across America, uh, are either heretical or theologically dangerous. You know, if you were to take the entirety of churches, I mean, that's going to include Unitarian churches, that's going to include some of the out there churches. Uh, but even within that, I think many evangelical churches that have, you know, some doctrines that we would agree with can be spiritually abusive places, can be really harmful places for people. Would you agree with that? Yes. Yeah, you're right. Now, why do we make church so core to discipling young people when so many of them are profoundly unhealthy and so many of them are even overtly abusive, Ben? Well, the church is God's design, and we trust God's wisdom and His design. 
we also recognize that there are no perfect churches. So it's not like that those options are out there and we just got to find the, the right perfect ones. Uh, you just don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. And it's kind of like, to me, parents that are broken and twisted and sinful, and they're, they're not whole, uh, they're sinners, but God keeps entrusting children to parents to raise, to spiritually nurture them, to form them and to teach them. And sometimes, you know, you look and go, why do those people have kids? And I mean, I've heard people lament before. It's like, yeah. you've got these maybe more godly, wise people who have trouble conceiving. They really want children. And then other people who have some serious character deficiencies end up with children. And I mean, that's a whole other conversation. Yeah. But God doesn't trust his, his image bearers to people who are broken. And so in some ways, uh, that's kind of what we have with the church and with Christians. And so... Yeah, and I think to me, you know, why we trust the church and value the local church, even amidst, I mean, the things that people know about how bad churches can be at times, is it's really, to me, it's the same reason why we should promote eating vegetables, even if we, you know, hear a news story about some vegetables having E. coli, right? So, I mean, if you see that the news story that, you know, there's a batch of lettuce that has E. coli, should that mean that you never eat vegetables again? For some, they see. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it's to me, it's being as, as unreasonable as we are when we dismiss churches based upon the unhealth that can exist because That's it's still good fundamentally good for us. So, uh, you know, I, I actually think that uh, the importance of a local church is why bad ones are such a big problem. That, you know, actually the fact that these bad churches cause so much issues is in itself a revelation of how important the local church is and why it's so necessary that local churches get things right. Uh, but, I mean, for example, in that, you know, uh, people get scandalized by things that happen in churches that are supposed to be healthy. But nobody gets really scandalized if the manager of the local TJ Maxx, uh, it turns out he bullies people on Twitter, or if it turns out he was having an affair that he covered up. You know, I, I, I've never heard anybody get an uproar, like a whole community be torn down by the fact that a TJ Maxx manager was uh, behaving inappropriately on Twitter. Yeah, I mean, the employees may gossip in the back room, but, you know, what? <laughs> yeah. Because it's more important than, I'm sure TJ Maxx's is fine, so I don't mean to badge TJ Maxx. <laughs> Though I used to, you know, I, I, a long time ago, I worked at Belk, and it wasn't one of the managers, but one of the my fellow associates uh, got arrested, like, while I was there one night, and I actually got questioned by the police about it, because she had used my ID number to type something in to, like, do her fraudulent activities, and so they asked me, uh, I was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Thankfully, I didn't have to, you know, I wasn't in there with a the light on me and sweating it out and stuff. No, that's good, So, But even if that was the case, you know, it would have been a lot more dramatic and a lot more noteworthy if that was a local church than, you know, a Belk. <laughs> right. But I, I guess a Belk is maybe more important than TJ Maxx. <laughs> I don't know. So. Uh, the listeners here in Maine probably don't know what on earth a Belk is, so I don't think Belk exists up here. So, Yeah, it's just more of a southern thing. It is. So, Now, what really differentiates a healthy church from an unhealthy church? Or one, say, with an abusive pastor, which I, I think, to me, an unhealthy church and a church with an abusive pastor is you know, a little bit like, you know, same thing. Yeah, the uh, the Venn diagram there, it overlaps a lot. I think you want to look at how closely are they living out their beliefs. Now, I guess if you say they have bad doctrine and they're living it out, but still, kind of get what I'm saying? 
are they living out the implications of the gospel and, and the implications of sound doctrine? Like Paul tells Timothy to teach what accords with sound doctrine. Uh, and so looking at that, or is it more just they have these items written down on a statement of faith, but it does not really make it out into the way that they, they treat one another, the way that things are done in the church, how things operate. And so that can be said the same thing of the pastor. I mean, is he a man of godly character? People look and say, oh yeah, yeah he, he is growing in godliness. Not a perfect pastor, not uh, that he's just arrived and he's he's glorified, like in the Romans 8 sense, um, but that he genuinely is seeking to honor the Lord. There's evident humility, those kinds of things. If those things are lacking, then yeah, those are definitely signs of concern. Yeah. So I, I definitely think, I mean, as you showed, that you really one of the simplest ones that you're going to tell is, you know, a, a healthy church is going to have right doctrine, biblical doctrine and practices. Uh, but beyond that, you know, I think healthy churches to me are places that value transparency and also they value accountability. You know, this is not something that should bother and not something that should be a concern for a healthy church. Accountability is seen as a very good thing. You know, being even being open about our struggles so that we can receive that kind of accountability. Uh, and I, I think that uh, in a lot of ways, uh, differentiating that in practice means that people within churches need to know the bylaws. And they need to know if they're at a place where others do know their bylaws, do know the Constitution, where things are being hidden, or where, you know, that things are put in place for the sake of the health of the body and a way that one can understand and the way that one can blatantly see, if that makes sense. So I, I don't think that necessarily a healthy church has to, you know, staple the bylaws and the Constitution to a member's head. But I think this act in and of itself, the transparency, even in the church's practices and the church's deeds is something that should be uh, easily obtainable in a healthy church. Uh, but I, further, I think probably even the most significant one that's beyond doctrine is going to be that I think a healthy church will have a posture of mortification. Uh, that's an old term for basically the idea of killing sin. We'll have the posture that we, we come here to put our own sin to death. We, we want to fight our own sin. We have a hatred of our own sin. Uh, whereas oftentimes in a healthy church, both on the right or the left, for example, we'll have an attitude more of kind of rattling sabers. You know, we become a place that's really no different from a lot of the shock jockeys. Uh, you know, it gets you really enraged and, and ready for a battle cry against the bad guys out in the world. Uh, but, you know, a biblically healthy church instead has the attitude to make you hate your own sin first. Yeah, that's good. Now, what kind of impact can abusive churches and unqualified leaders have on young people particularly? I think it can look different depending probably on the person's experience or temperament, a lot of stuff like that. But it can push them in some cases, best cases maybe, to be uh, a healthier Christian to, or they aspire to, to ministry to do it in a more God-honoring way or to seek out a better church and say, like, I, I know— I, that something's off here and I want the real thing or the better thing. Uh, with some, you know, it can just push them to rely on the Lord more. But I think they can also push people away from the church and or the Lord. They may rub them to kind of be cynical and just say, well, these people, you know, what they're saying and what they're doing doesn't match up. And yeah, just drive them away. So again, it's going to depend case to case. But I mean, I think we've seen even 
lately how significant the impact can be. I mean, it's it's interesting that I, you know, I listened to, I think almost twice now, The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill Church, and it really recounts even specifically some young adults or some teens that, you know, their faith was, some of them were kind of holding on to a sense of the faith, and legitimately Christians, but, you know, it's left a lot of their faith in shambles, so. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, it was sad. And I think further, those raised around abuse around an abusive church and those raised around a church that does not value character can quickly come to distrust the church. Yeah. And and this is, I think even going to be the case in the kids that walk away. I, I don't think that we can save people, but when, you know, those who do walk away have such a distaste for the church that it hinders our conversations with the gospel, that it really wrecks our witness, not just to them, but to everybody else. I, I think that's profoundly damaging. Uh, perhaps worse, though, I think the greatest danger would be that they might be shaped into that as people seldom really go beyond their leaders. And so, you know, I think maybe that's the worst thing about a church that has unqualified leaders, for example, is that it's going to raise up unqualified young people, young people who don't value these kind of moral qualifications, but instead value the things that their pastor values. Now, do you think toxic church cultures are more damaging specifically to young people, or do you think that they're, you know, just as damaging to everybody else? Uh, I think that it, it can because young people are more vulnerable in the sense that they're they're an age where they're very impressionable and they're still being formed in maybe bigger, more dramatic ways than someone who is older and been through some of the same uh, kinds of life and mental and emotional development and all that kind of thing, uh, making sense of the world. Not that you just stop being formed, but there's just some more dynamic things going on when you're young and you're making sense of things. And so uh, from that standpoint, yes, I can see it being uh, more damaging. What do you think? Yeah, I think that's good. I think one thing I would add particularly among these young people is that I think Gen Z particularly lives in a culture where there's kind of a critical nature of the church, where there's a lot of antagonism towards the local church. And they, they don't need the verification that happens in an unhealthy church more than anybody, perhaps. Now, uh, do you think that parents who perceive problems uh, in their church should confront these problems for the sake of their kids, for the sake of themselves? Or do you think they should just leave or both? I think it depends. It really depends. It's hard to to give a specific answer. Um, The nature of the problem, I think, helps you to decide in that. Sometimes maybe it's worth confronting and staying, depending on the circumstances. If there may be a lot of other people that you think are on board uh, who can help. And it, it's worth it. Um, other, if you just you know you're kind of alone in noticing these things or standing up against them, it may just be you acknowledge it as you leave. Just hey, mm. Pastor so and so, you know we are going to be leaving, and here's why. Um, but there's no point in sticking around and fighting, really, or, or I say fighting, but sticking around to engage in the issue because uh, there's just no traction. So, uh, I mean, I know like my wife's family was in a church and my father-in-law was the main teaching pastor and yeah. they went in knowing it was a, not going to be a, a rosy situation. Uh, kind of the, the point was to go in and try to revitalize, but there, I mean, they endured a, a good bit of difficulty he did, and then the family as well, by extension. And after they left, there was a number of people who then, once they left, said, hey, 
if we want our church to last and to be a good place, we've got to stand up and uh, and do something about this. And some of them just said, we wish we would have done this earlier. And, and so they were remorseful to their friend, the pastor who was leaving. So yeah, it just it's going to vary from case to case. Yeah, so I, I think I, I would agree with you. I think usually, regardless of what you do, you should confront... Uh, but biblically, I think it can be wise to do so publicly when done in the right manner. So uh, what I think is an interesting aspect of this, especially in areas that has been pointed out where, you know, there's been so many ca- prominent cases of unqualified men in leadership, of, you know, abusive practices in the church, is the Bible is very, very clear in most, the vast majority of cases that we confront sin privately first. But with church leaders, there seems to be a significant difference. Uh, and I think we see that specifically in 1 Timothy 5.20. Uh, that, uh, and and I, probably I think there's a degree to which there is a confrontation individually, or at least awareness of the sin. Uh, and it says about uh, pastors, as for those who persistence and rebuke them in the presence of all, so that they, the rest may stand in fear. And this seems to be referring to problems among those who are in church leadership. And so I think that there's times in which even actually, and church business meetings have gone the way of the dodo bird, unfortunately. But I think there's legitimately times in which, biblically, I think you have to have context where, you know, if you confront something and you see something is deeply, deeply wrong, I don't think it's pugnacious or divisive to point out that error if you have significant evidence, if you even have backing of other believers that see this, even in the context of that kind of meeting. I have a hard time saying where Scripture would teach otherwise. So, uh, But I, I think if concerns are unheeded or the abusers are protected, which sometimes is the case, there are times in which, you know, a lot of times in church abuse cases, you know, the abusers uh, are going to be protected. They're going to be stood behind. Uh, there's going to be kind of uh, uh, almost like a... Um, force field a in a firewall between the church leaders and the actual members. And I think if that's the case, uh, it's it's right and good to leave. And specifically even with abusive pastors, particularly and I think we see that saw this for example in the Mark Driscoll thing. Uh, when a pastor's abusive, when a pastor is shown a character uh, of strong anger, uh, you know, a character that, you know, he has hurt other people that have criticized him. Uh, that, you know, through petty attacks, I, I think leaving right away can actually be safer, especially for our families. I, I don't think that's passive aggressive or unwise. I, I think to me, in those kind of contexts, it's more setting ourselves up uh, to, to avoid the damage of, of really somebody who's acting more like a wolf in that context. Yeah, that's, that's well thought out. That's good. Now, why do families that have been burned by the local church especially need a local church? As we know, so many families have been burned by local churches. Again, it's it's God's design that we need a church. And so those people, they need to be ministered to, but they also need to minister to others. God has gifted them. And so it's not like we just get a pass from that. Not that they need to jump into some church necessarily and, and get in all these roles of service and responsibility, but God is going to shape them into the image of Christ most fully in the church. Like there's just not another route that God offers us. And so, I uh, mean, you said out of your own personal experience, that's God's design. And so we should not try to improve on that or, or you know, act like we can. 
Yeah, I would just add a couple things. I think for the family that's been burned by a local church, I think the longer that a family in this case is away from a healthy church, the more they're going to normalize the experience of an unhealthy church, if that makes sense. It becomes crystallized in their mind, you know, and it becomes, I think, actually harder to recover when we isolate ourselves, which has a tendency to be be the case. I mean, even I know, you know, the Southern Baptist Convention has had to really grapple, grasp with some deeply abusive problems in churches that kind of came to light recently. And I've been told and read that a lot of people, especially women that came out of this, they just don't connect to any church for a long time. And, and that's hurtful for themselves rather than helpful. So, I, you know, I've actually even seen in my own life, even personally, I've seen that loving churches are sometimes the best place to heal from spiritual abuse. And then I, I suspect that those who are willing to do the hard work of finding a healthy church, which there are there. You know, maybe you have to drive for a healthy church a little bit, but there are there. And I suspect in almost all cases, they will find some significant level of comfort and healing in a healthy church. Now, how can parents in these situations show churches are a good thing when the last church was really very much a bad thing? I think you want to try to look for evidences of God's grace even small ones, um, and practice it mm-hmm. yourselves and try to help the kids to remember those. Hey, remember, even though, yes, we, if you say you left, uh, remember this or that, or help them to find them in the current situation, depending on their awareness, uh, just to be looking for that and, and find stories of, of good cases. Uh, read about good ones in the New Testament. And even there, acknowledging like all the churches in the New Testament didn't have it all figured out. I mean, no. they had not arrived. You look at the Corinthians, they had some serious issues. And it always strikes me, it's funny, I've seen a few churches in, in present times that name themselves, you know, Corinth Baptist Church. <laughs> and actually one of them, they lived up to the name too, man, let me tell you. And the churches in Revelation, I mean, Jesus has some very direct things to say to some of those churches uh, and issues that they woman, had. Were a bunch of the women in the Corinth Baptist churches named Delilah? <laughs> No, but the pastor was accused of uh, trying to kiss one of the young women, and it was brought before the church. He goes, I'm not going to say I did it. I'm not going to say I didn't do it. And that's that. And I mean, and that was that. They just like went on. Yeah, this was, and the guy that was telling me about it, that was he was one of the deacons there, but it was a, a church culture in which the pastor was, you know, the man, had lots of authority and yep. um, not, not a good situation. But... Yeah, so I think that we can look at our pre- our own experience, but also contemporary things, and then try to look at Scripture and say, I mean, this is what God has given us, but even then, like, we're not in the kingdom yet. The kingdom has come, but not yet here in its fullness, and so um, we should expect there to be ways in which we are going to experience this, or we may even be the cause of it sometimes. Yeah, I, yeah, I think for, you know, parents— really um, showing that the church is a good thing to their kids that have been in this situation. Just, I mean, a couple things that I would encourage parents in this is I think looking at Paul's love for the church, even the first Corinthians church, you know, we talked about in the, don't name your church after the (laughs) church of Corinth, but Paul loved, he expressed early on in first Corinthians, his great love for even that church. And, And I think looking at that together with your kids, 
can be profoundly helpful for parents as well as their children. To say that even when things are bad, God loves the church. God's bride is the local church. So, and I think further, a very practical thing parents can do in these cases is listen to the concerns of the child. Because undoubtedly, the child, even a young child, is going to have some strong feelings about a you know a local church that's been unhealthy. I I know of young people that have been near and dear of my own life, that have lived through some really horrible church experiences. And, you know, the words that they use to describe it uh, were shocking. And, I th- and just their own processing of things. And I think it's helpful to be able to listen to that out and pray for them. Pray about, you know, what happens and pray with them about this. Uh, and I think this is an area, in, and it seems little, where going to churches on vacation more vacation times can actually matter. Because I, I think when we do that, even when we've been in a bad church, even when our experience of church has been this abusive church that we're excited about the numbers growing, perhaps. Actually, I saw one study that showed that abusive uh, after COVID, abusive churches started growing far more than most churches. Uh, churches that are like antagonistic and angry towards the culture are the mm. churches that are growing and by yes, bounds. leaps and bounds. Yeah, I've, I've seen some of that. Yeah, but so then I think, you know, when you go to a church on a vacation, I mean, we go to this little church in Myrtle Beach that's smaller than our church in Maine. And when we go to Myrtle Beach vacation, it's a blessing to us. And I think it shows our kids that if you're in a bad church or in a good church, that is not the totality of experience of local churches. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Actually, and this is not so much from an abusive standpoint, but just the need to be connected. Um, we've got some friends who are in the process of, well, they, they have left their church. And, they, and it was not an abusive situation. It was just they came to see that they did not share some of the doctrinal distinctives of the church. And so they thought, well, we need to find another church. And like, you know, uh, the man met with the pastor and said, hey, you know, we've, they've been there for quite a while and said, we really appreciate the ministry. It's really been impactful for our family. And it's just, you know, it's time for us to move on. So he handled it very well. And then something they did was they're going around to different kinds of churches, just and, and they're looking at this, the statements of faith and then talking about it with their kids. Just, I mean, it was more of like a learning experience. And yeah. then they set a, a period, like, we're going to do this for this many Sundays, and then we're going to try to get connected. And he was telling me the other night that even within that time period, uh, they, they almost feel like maybe they want to shorten it because they just feel homeless. And I mean, there are people that have been serving in their church and just see the need to go back and be connected. Uh, and again, they, they didn't come out of a bad situation, yeah. but that's just somebody coming out of a pretty good situation. So, I mean, how much more, I mean, if you come out of a bad one, getting connected and, and, and looking for those, uh, those signs of grace. Yeah. Uh, now, should parents ever inform their children about problems in a local church, Ben? Yes, I, I think so, depending on their age, their perceptivity of things. If they ask, then yes. Now, I mean, you don't just vent your your wrath about it, and you want to be respectful of people, even if you disagree with them or, you know, it's someone, um, maybe there's been issues of outright sin. But yes, I think that it is something that you should talk about, and wisdom helps to dictate, you know, how you go about that. What do you think? Yeah, so it's interesting, because I used to have a different perspective on that, in part because there's this phenomenal book by D.A. Carson about his dad's ministry, uh, Memoirs of an Ordinary Pastor. 
And D.A. Carson seems to imply, and probably because it's a different situation that was appropriate, that there was problems in the church and that uh, D.A. Carson's parents kind of shielded that from the kids. And, you know, and I thought that that's always good. You know, you don't want the kids to have to engage in that. But I think I have shifted a yes on this. And for a variety of reasons, Uh, there are, I think, some things that we should protect them from. Uh, but, you know, in First Timothy 5.20, for example, Paul isn't excluding kids. He wasn't saying, send the kids out of the room when you do this. <laughs> and I think that's worth noting. Uh, you know, and if not, they may not watch diligently for problems like this in the future. And further, one thing I didn't write in this, but I'll add, especially after I wrote this before listening to an excellent podcast uh, by uh, Russell Moore that was talking about some of the rise of of really rage-focused churches and how, uh, again, COVID has led to kind of the politicization of the faith and that kind of causing this kind of new church growth movement that's fueled by anger, you know, and those unhealthy cases, which I want to be crystal, crystal clear that a church that, you know, the pastor's focus is raging against the world rather than, you know, focusing on our own sin first and our need for grace first, not saying never talk about the world's sin, is an unhealthy church. Uh, and But that's something that our kids are going to see. Our kids are going to notice that and then the angry pastor that grows the church by being the angry pastor. And so if we try to shield them from it, all we're doing actually is normalizing it. So it's not mm-hmm. really helping. Yeah, that's good. Now, how can healthy churches welcome and help families recovering from church abuse? I mean, it sounds simple, but love them, encourage them, give them time to heal. I think you also, though, don't want to let them just blast the old place or give them, don't encourage them to do that, especially if, if you have some awareness of that church or, you know, like, yeah, it was, I, I thought that they were kind of bad. You don't want to help them along to process it in, in unhelpful and sinful ways. So, you know, exactly what that looks like in every situation, I'm not sure. But, I mean, you just want to try to love them as a brother and sister in Christ and, and help them along uh, in some ways like you would others. I mean, yes, the, the dynamics are going to change um, for some of those things. But uh, trying to, to be a, a healthy church for them as they're coming out of a, a bad experience. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you on and really everything you said, and I really want to urge, as you seem to be advocating, being patient and prayerful with such families. They need a lot of patience and prayers in that case. I mean, there's a lot of impact, long-term even-wise, that spiritual abuse can have on people. Uh, but I think further, you should use this as an impetus to double down on character. When we see these kind of families, to me, I think those that are recovering, this should help local churches to see the need to value character throughout the church. And, uh, and I think that this should urge us to make things as transparent to them as you can especially to them specifically, because I have found that, again, I mean, that Southern Baptist report showed this as clear as anything, is that unhealthy churches tend to not be big fans of, of transparency. And, uh, that, and I think helping them by showing them, hey, you can see how the sausage gets made here. We're not <laughs> hiding anything. There's no Wizard of Oz kind of trickery going on here. You can see. Uh, we'll let you see. We want you to see because we love you. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. So um, how can next-gen ministries specifically, family ministries, youth ministries, children's ministries, help young people think through the increasingly well-known problems of church abuse and uh, unqualified pastors? Just make it a point, or not just, but make it a point to study the doctrine of the church. Who are the church's leaders to be, um, whether you're just going through Scripture or just having a, a specific look at it, so that they have clear—helping them to form clearly defined uh, understanding of what Scripture says about those things. Um, I know—I think we probably mentioned it before, but I, I remember several years ago hearing a nine marks podcast, and they were talking about why was there so little teaching on the church to the church, mm. and it was like, well, it's just, maybe it's because it seems self-evident, like, why do you need to tell a man how to be a man? I mean, he is a man. I mean, you, you are a church. And so, I mean, you, you look at the landscape, at least in the U.S., what we're familiar with, and there's confusion about what it means to be a church, and uh, what we should emphasize, what we should be about, and that kind of thing. And so, uh, some things that would I think we'd both agree depart from the Bible in some ways or just have some things, priorities that are misaligned. And so studying that and helping them to to form their, their understanding, their expectations around Scripture and not just the culture. Also help them to consider what they can do even at their stage of life and their age to help your church to be healthy and to be God-honoring. Because, I mean, if they're a believer, they've got to have a role to play in that. And so um, it doesn't just have to be for when you grow up. And, and to keep your eyes on Jesus, uh, you know, as you do that, don't overlook that Jesus established the church, and he will perfect it one day. He will mm. give her her white garments um, that are pure. And, you know, as, as we walk along following him together, what we do now in righteousness is sort of an act of faith that, yes, he will keep those promises and he will make us perfect. Um, and so you can't have Jesus and not have his people. I mean, he's, he's very clear that to come to him and it is to, to get his bride as well. So, yeah, I mean, keeping the focus on Jesus and then what, what does he say in his word? Well, my thoughts on that consists of the word amen. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. So, uh, now, should we shelter young people from things like the Mars Hill podcast or, you know, Hill, the Hillsong documentary that exposed some of the problems in Hillsong? I've listened to Mars Hill. I have not seen the Hillsong thing. I've heard about it. But I would say, no, I, I mean, I don't know that I'm going to sit down with my eight-year-old and like, we're going to listen to this whole thing and talk about it. But I think that they can be aware of it. And, and But if you know that they're listening to it or they're interested in that kind of thing, you know, try to answer questions they have. Ask them questions. Um, provoke them to think and, and bring those things into line with, okay, how does this measure up against Scripture? What do you think went wrong here? Because, I mean, it's at least from the Mars Hill thing. And just from what I know about some of the Hillsong stuff, obviously some things did go off the rails. And so getting them to reflect on it. Yeah. I, don't know, I mean, would you would you hide it from them or not at all? Definitely not. So, uh, I I think that these things can like these exposures, even when it's done by unbelievers, which sometimes it has been, can be very good things for the health of the church. Uh, and anything uh, lost from exposure is something that was never really had. Actually, I again, this goes back to, I wrote this all before the Southern Baptist stuff came out. But what was interesting was that a lot of the physical abuse, sexual abuse happening in churches that was being covered up. The mentality, uh, you know, for a lot of these leaders and covering up was basically that, you know, we're going to hurt the brand of 
of Christianity almost by letting this come out. Uh, mm-hmm. But, you know, anything that we lose, though, from it coming public actually is something that we didn't really have to begin with. You know, all we had is kind of a fraud version of it. And so, you know, maybe these things are kind of laying bare where the American church really is. But if that's the case, it's not a bad thing to lay it bare because it makes us have to deal with it to a degree. You know, and I, I know this sounds callous, but it kind of rubs our nose in it uh, in a way that can compel us that maybe we need to talk more about what the church is. Maybe we need to think more about this. Maybe we need to show young people what they need to look for in a local church. I will say that those kind of things for me even compelled me to, you know, I, I try every young person I interact with, I encourage them to go and find, look for churches on nymarks.org, for example, or the Gospel Coalition's website. Uh, and I'm not going to, I know for a fact of one church that's on nymarks.org that uh, was kind of coincidentally put on there that I 100% would not encourage that as a healthy church. Uh, but, you know, these can be helpful resources that are thought through because of that. So even, I, I think, talk to them, even within your own domination, within churches that you know of, talk to your kids about these things before the documentaries do, before the lost people get their hot takes on it, so that mm-hmm. they're not kind of hit off in that way. Yeah, it's just, you brought up this stuff, the recent SBC stuff, and I mean, you're no longer a part of an SBC church. I am. Um, and I remember this This was, you talked about the, the rubbing our, our nose in it. And to some extent, I guess I had that experience. Because I remember a number of years ago, looking at some people I knew that were, or even just observed, that were people who were, they hung on to the gospel and, and had, I think, a good set of beliefs that came from scripture. But they happened to be in denomination, serving in denominations that were less than faithful, in, in at least in the doctrinal regard. I mean, they had departed in some pretty serious ways, yeah. which also led to some moral issues, you know, calling sin a good thing and, and stuff like that. And I remember thinking, how do they stay in those denominations? Like, I mean, it's just so bad. And then fast forward several years, and like you, you're talking about the, the people saying, well, let's let's hide this because it's going to hurt the brand. Mm-hmm. People want to give money, and then, then we won't be able to send missionaries. And I, I mean, some of these people had pretty good doctrinal stances, but then they weren't living up to it. And so um, while, yeah, and not to say that that was everyone in the SBC, it wasn't. I mean, it was people in the pews in the SBC who called for this investigation. So I think that should be recognized. Yes. Um, But it was just a humbling thing for me being now, I mean, on the other side of it going, oh yeah, I mean, there's, there's stuff to be humble about. And like you said, that this should force us to just double down on character. And, you know, Paul says, those of you who think you stand, take heed, lest you fall into giving attention to your own life, your own doctrine, and, and trying to be faithful in your own local church. And like, I liked what you said though, like talking to them before the hot takes from all the unbelievers and see, see, you know, the stupid Christians and yeah. So good word. Yeah. By the way, I don't want to bully on, you know, there are, I'm thankful, even though I'm not in SBC now, I'm thankful for much in SBC. Uh, but, you know, I don't think we should hide these things. And, you know, and I think that it's important to have the humility. Even, you know, I know of a denomination that was really, really hard and hearkening on the SBC on that. And I personally know a pastor in that denomination that is acting as a pastor and, and is a sexual abuser. And, uh, you know, 
that is still acting as pastor. So, you know, I, I, so I don't think that uh, we should have any kind of arrogance. We should have the humility of realizing that if we don't safeguard ourselves, if we don't have biblical transparency, we can fall too. Yeah, yeah, good word. All right, can good come from these scandals and the sense of perhaps good in helping us to have a better theology of the church, both in parents instilling a better theology of the church, or even the church better instilling a theology of the church? I think it certainly can bring good. One, I mean, like just thinking at the, the Mars Hill thing and, and other instances, uh, that we should not just bow at remarkable giftedness mm. that we see in someone. Um, we should try to shepherd that well. And just because someone is gifted, that doesn't mean that they just have the clearance now to do whatever. And I mean, I've seen, I don't know if this is true or not, so I won't say the name, but there is something you can find on the internet. A friend of mine who lived in the area, sort of there uh, where this church was, said his friend went to the church and the kid came away with a thing, but it was like, you know, pastor so-and-so, God gave him a vision and our job is to obey that vision. And it's like, that mm-hmm. just seems like that is a train wreck waiting to happen. And so that kind of thing, I mean, we should really be on guard of that. But the same thing, I mean, the Bible tells us to submit to the elders. And I mean, we can, we've talked recently kind of what that looks like. It's not just, you know, Pastor Bob said, start jumping so we get the trampoline out, but we can learn from that. We also just want to look more closely at the Bible rather than what's expedient or what's pragmatic, um, what seems to work and building around someone's personality. I mean, if if you're building it around some guy, even if the guy's around for many decades, in some ways you were building a house of cards. Yeah, and so it can help us in those regards. But I mean, I'm sure there's there's more. What do you think? Yeah, I I strongly agree with you. Say, I mean, I put it as you know similar wording. I think this will cause us to care more about character than charisma. And I think it's really, really sad statement of the local church that, you know, churches care far more about those kinds of things, those measurable things that seem to bring in the numbers by human standards, than they do seem to care about character. Uh, and I think this will even, in a way, that significant cause us to stop ignoring our documents. You know, I, I think an interesting thing happened, and, you know, I, I don't want to get into politics, but when the Democratic Party got control of the Senate, the House, and the, and the presidency, they realized that they couldn't do as much as they thought. And part of the reason why is because uh, they realized that there is uh, the filibuster rule causes them to have to, you know, get essentially 60 votes to uh, allow something to be voted on. So this is a technicality of a rule. And within, you know, party rules, essentially. It's not even in the Constitution. But it's uh, regardless of your thoughts on it, it's something they had to think about more when it kind of became a pressing reality. And so I think that the case is for us as well, amiss all these abuse problems, amiss all this chaos of churches being led by men that are unqualified, I think it's time that we stop ignoring our documents as well. Yeah, I think, I mean, that's... It can seem a little wonkish, but it is important to to how your church operates. Yeah, I I don't think it's you can be too wonkish about how the local church operates. Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so well, brother, I I want to note that I'm really thankful for the many healthy churches out there, even amidst this difficult conversation that you know might hit some people really hard. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. 
Well, I'm thankful to discuss this with you, and I hope that our listeners have been blessed by this conversation. Yes, I hope it will uh, push them on. Amen. God bless. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Theological Family Ministry Podcast. If you have enjoyed this episode, please give us a review on iTunes and share the podcast with your friends on social media. All new episodes are available to listen to on Stitcher, SoundCloud, YouTube, Spreaker, and iTunes. We hope you have a great week, and join us again every first and third Thursday.